welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. This is getting to be a habit. We actually are uh, recording on a semi-regular basis. Uh, I'm your friend, Nate Larkin, here with uh, really the captain of this whole enterprise, the co-host. We call him the co-host, but he really runs things from the left coast. Aaron Porter joining us from San Luis Obispo. How are you, Aaron? I'm the captain of the enterprise. I think that makes me... uh, (laughs) What's that annoying guy that pauses? Yes. Awkwardly. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, you know, I just want to say I'm grateful that you you kind of took the bull by the horns uh, and said, we've got to get this podcast more regular. And if it takes me doing it, I'll do it. And you don't get paid to do it. And yet you make sure that we, as regularly as possible. Uh, you, it's, hey, it's my pleasure. And it's been nice getting to know. Uh, I've talked to a couple guys that have written in or called, and uh, just when we started doing this, I really, I did it because we live so far apart. It was a weekly way for me to hang out and chat with you and and Mondo Uh and other friends, and uh, honestly, I am still kind of surprised when I find out anybody listens to it, (laughs) because... We just do. We just do it for a, a fun conversation, yeah, and to yeah. chat with interesting people. So, yeah. anyways, uh, I love that you've got a cat in the background, and I've got a dog walking back and forth. So this is going to be the animal themed episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. But if you're not watching this on YouTube, you will miss out on all that goodness. That's right. Got a little cat video happening right here. <laughs> we know how well those do on yeah. YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> So what's going on in your world? Oh, boy. You know, uh, I think I disclosed here, let slip in the podcast, that we have started a nonprofit to uh, support the work of the Samson Society and like-hearted organizations. So the Samson House is up and running, and it seems like I spent half my time now going from meeting to meeting. seems like men and money are coming out of the woodwork to support uh, – this new initiative. I'm very excited about it and also scared to death. Yeah. Yeah. It sure sure seems like God has something planned just based on the fact that you are not trying to put any of this together and some amazing guys and amazing support are just like here. And that honestly, that forces things in your life. Like you're stuck doing things that you might not have chosen. Yeah. And yet you're starting to see it kind of unfold. I can't wait to see what ends up happening with it. Oh boy. Yeah. Great stuff coming. How about you? No, we're just plugging along in, in, in this extreme heat, looking forward to going up to Yosemite with my daughter uh, this weekend. So that's, that's going to be great. Haven't haven't had an adventure with her since last summer, with just the two of us, and haven't been camping out in the middle of nowhere for a very long time. Wow! You know, my daughter, who is, uh, you know, she's a single mom, three kids. Seems to me like she was born yesterday, but she's thirty-eight years old. She suggested to me the other day that she, you know, I, I've gone on hiking holidays with her, her uh, younger brother. It seems like he and I go camping or do something at least once a year. And I haven't done one of those with her. And uh, she said, you know what? I would like to, uh, I'd love to go 
away with you, Dad. Love to go on a walk for a few days, maybe through Ireland, where our family is from. But she has an agenda. So, but she's setting the bar low. I thought it was like to the national park closest to us. No, I want to go <laughs> camping in Ireland. No, what, she wants to her... no, no. It's more than that. Okay, what's her agenda? She wants to process. Oh. Um, uh, my years of active addiction and their effects on her. She'd like us to kind of have the conversations we didn't have during my years of emotional absence. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds yeah. really big and, <laughs> and terrifying. And her idea, she's a great writer. Her idea is that we can turn it into a book. And she already has a title, Daddy Issues. Wow. <laughs> you know what? That, that, that both excites and freaking terrifies me. That, that sounds amazing, though. I mean, yeah. I, can't, I can't wait and hope that my kids will ask for those kinds of weekends yeah. when they're older. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. just talking to my 15-year-old last night about some heavy things and spiritual things, and a lot of what I was saying was, I know this doesn't mean as much to you as it does to me right now, and you saying that makes me think maybe someday we can get back to that <laughs> in in a whole different way. So that's that's amazing. So when are you going to do this? Uh, I think we're shooting for uh, summer 2018. Wow. So why Ireland? Well, we want to go walking in a nice place. Uh, we'd also, I think we both enjoy pubs, and that might help to lubricate the conversation a little bit. Um, also, I've been briefly to Ireland. She's never been, and we are Larkins, originally O'Larkins. <laughs> really? I, oh, yes. It's the homeland. And I have a sister who's a genealogy uh, nut, and she has she's dug up all the relatives back there. So... So we could go, we could kind of do the family tour and think back, not just 20 years, but maybe 100 years. Uh, who knows? It sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, my weekend at Yosemite seems to suck now. I'll tell you, <laughs> that puts it in perspective. Well, <laughs> no, we're going to talk I... about my daughter's favorite cat book she's reading. That's going to be our <laughs> conversation the entire trip. Maybe if Chris and I had taken a weekend in Yosemite, um, this <laughs> excavation of, uh, of a trip might not be necessary. You, I'm still looking forward to it. I'm looking for, to see what redemptive thing comes out of it. Nice. Well, I know we need to get on to the mailbag because yeah. we've got a, a letter that, that you wanted to read that was sent in and to yeah. unpack a little bit. So should we take a quick break and then we will come back with mail? Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. There was a time when we we 
We are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. By the way, thank you for your letters. We have gotten several. Uh, because we've got a, uh, a special interview coming up and time is running a little tight, we're not going to be able to read all of them today, but I did want to pick this one out. It's a response to an episode we did just a few months ago, uh, a conversation with Kat Etherington from England, who coaches and helps the wives of sex addicts, uh, including sex addicts in recovery. So here's the letter. I've been listening to your podcast for the past year. By the way, I love that your podcasts are sporadic. It's always a pleasant surprise to see another posting from the pirates. It's a little like Christmas and spring. I'm always touched by your vulnerability. You give your real names, admitting to the world your past sins and your struggles with sex addiction. As the wife of a recovering sex addict, you give me hope. I connected with your interview with Catherine Etherington and thought I'd answer your call to hear from some of us wives. My first discovery was in July 2012, when I caught my husband in an adult chat room that I later realized was a hookup site. He lied his way out of that one. I believed him because I wanted to believe him. I believed him because an honest person thinks all people are honest. I guess that's a fault of mine. He tried to quit on his own, but after a year, he was back in the adult chat rooms, hooking up with strangers. My second discovery was in April 2014. For no reason, I opened up his laptop, and there it was, another adult chat room. I had only discovered the tip of the iceberg, but it was traumatic nonetheless. I could feel the adrenaline coursing through my veins. I had an almost out-of-body experience as I stared at that screen. Physically, I felt like I was floating. My hands were shaking. And I kept thinking, who am I married to? It was pure fear. I now know that the physical response I felt was the fight-or-flight response that happens to a trapped animal or someone about to be killed. The feeling is so intense that it can actually alter the brain. I didn't get the full disclosure for three long months. You need to understand that knowing you were being lied to, that the one person who was supposed to have your back is the one who stabbed you in the back, is probably worse than the actual cheating. You also need to understand that lying by omission is still lying. That's why the trickle truth hurts so much. While I understand now that the addict is in no place to give a proper full disclosure right away, the problem is that the continued omission of the truth feels like continual lying. Lying by omission is a form of emotional manipulation done by the addict to protect themselves. It's very painful for the betrayed spouse. The initial trauma of discovery is compounded by the realization that there were years filled with lies, whether omissions or outright lies. Finding out that you were being gaslighted for years just adds trauma on top of trauma. For me, that complex trauma was too much for my brain to process. I was, it was two years into my own recovery that I realized something was wrong. 
I was walking outside on a beautiful day. The sun was warm. The tall eucalyptus trees were blowing in the wind against the blue sky. I was happy. And then suddenly I was having an anxiety attack. I couldn't blame this anxiety attack on a trigger. I realized that my brain did not want me to be happy. It was like my brain wanted to keep me in fear. It took me a while to realize that I was having symptoms of PTSD. PTSD feels like you are right back there. The adrenaline rush, the fast heart rate, the fight or flight feelings are real. Much like a soldier feels when he or she is on the battlefield, the betrayed wife physically feels the same as the day of discovery. It physically feels real, even though logically I knew it wasn't. But it's impossible for the logical part of the brain to win the battle. As Catherine said, it's the same brain response as a rape victim. If only the addict could realize that the betrayal of their spouse has the same physical effect as rape, maybe they'd be better able to empathize with their wives' hypervigilance and trips to crazy town. Believe me, we don't want to go back to crazy town, but the brain keeps sending us there. It's the brain's natural response to trying to find safety. I can joke about crazy town, but I tell other members of the betrayed wives club that they're normal. If they didn't go to crazy town, then something must be wrong. Some wives get stuck in the numb stage. Staying numb is a great way to avoid the sadness and the anger, but we have to work through that pain in order to get to the other side. And unfortunately, the way to the other side is right through crazy town. The good news, I received the therapy I needed to help my brain move the memories that were stuck in the present to the long-term storage part of the brain. I no longer have the flashbacks or the overreaction to triggers because my brain now knows that something that happened to me in the past was in the past. PTSD requires proper therapy in order to fix the brain. I wish that more people were aware of the trauma created by betrayal. Getting over your betrayal is not just about forgiveness. No amount of forgiveness can fix the broken brain chemistry caused by trauma. I don't know if you take requests, but I would love to hear you speak about making amends. This has been one of the biggest hurdles to my recovery. As I see it, there really are no amends that can be made for cheating. Accepting the unfairness of it is like swallowing a bitter pill. I'd love to hear the pirate's version on how you make amends to your wives or to your affair partners without hurting your wife. I'll be waiting in anticipation for the next Pirate Monk podcast. Have a blessed day. You can call me Rayan. Well, that was a well-written that the essay. That yeah. was beautiful. Wasn't that fantastic? It was beautiful in, in a lot of ways. It's also pretty interesting that just last week we're talking to Chad Robichaud about PTSD <laughs> with soldiers. Yeah. And 
he said exactly what she said, which is this is the brain's natural and right response to a trauma. Yes. This is normal. If you're not going through this, that would be abnormal. Yes. Yes. And you also made sure to point out that PTSD isn't just about soldiers, that there are all kinds of life mm-hmm. events and situations that can create that. So this is a, it's a perfect letter for all of that. Yeah. Um, it, I also know there are a lot of men in the, uh, what was it? The, not the bitter wives club. What was the wives club? What was the <laughs> no, name? not the bitter wives club no. at all. The betrayed wives betrayed. club. Sorry. Yeah. See, I knew bitter was wrong. I apologize. Um, the betrayed wives club. I know there are yeah. a lot of men that articulate those exact same things. So talk, talk to us. Oh, I would like to, to address, you know, she said she won, she'd love to hear us talk about amends. Yeah. And I think you, you have a lot of experience in that. So, yeah, well, well, I mean, I got some, some good counsel and direction, I think early on. Certainly I wanted to make amends to Allie uh, immediately after making disclosure. I had no comprehension of PTSD, the fact that we were stacking. I mean, I, this was tremendous trauma, and it was added onto a – it wasn't the first time that my wife had been traumatized, but this may have been the worst. I'm, I'm sure it was the worst. She really had trusted me completely. I was such an effective liar uh, that she'd put all her eggs in my basket. She was convinced that I was the last person on the planet who would ever be unfaithful to her. Okay, can we pause on that for a second? Yeah. I think that's probably true. I think uh-huh. you probably were a good liar. Yeah. I think she did believe you. And yet, as she looks back over those years, yeah. she, she knew something was desperately wrong. So it's, sure. it's, not, it's not as clean as we, even in the midst of the lying, had perfect this perfect relationship because no. the lies enter in oh, all yeah. these other spots. Right. And I think that's something that husbands need to be aware of when they think they're getting away with it. Yeah. I mean, you showed me that, that family picture when we were on the porch and I made far too big of a deal mm-hmm. <laughs> with you and Allie and it was the family vacation. You remember which picture I'm talking about? And your yeah. face just looked like you were clearly in the midst of total hell. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest of the family's like, we're here on vacation. And then there was you. (laughs) That picture should be posted everywhere with the, you're not getting away with this in your heart. Yeah. Yeah. So, but at the same time, you know, Allie, I think to protect herself and to protect the family did what Rayanne says she did. I mean, she believed because she wanted to believe. Yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. This is the game that's, Sure. I sold it and she bought it because she wanted it. Even though she had her own misgivings, she quieted her own suspicions Mm -hmm. uh, in order to carry on. And then came the day when, uh, when it was, you know, when the jig was up. Now I wanted to make amends, which meant I wanted to, I wanted to fix it right away. And I think Rayanne states it beautifully. There really are no amends. There's nothing that can, that there are no, no amends that can be made for that betrayal, really. And I, I got, here, here's what I got. I, I remember going to my, my uh, sponsor at the time, 
I was terrified of amends. I wanted to make amends. Allie was at the top of my list. And part of that was just personal. I wanted to, I wanted to make her happy so my life could get better and we could get back to something like normal at, uh, and at the house. And, uh, you know, we could be in the same bed again, all that kind of stuff. Uh, he said, you need to start now making a living amends. Even before we get to steps uh, six and seven uh, in the 12 steps, you need living, to make a living. a living amends. Okay. And, um, and your living amends is, first of all, you allow her her feelings. You don't try to fix or change her. You allow her to be as angry as she needs to be for as long as she needs to be angry. Um, because uh, she's got to go through that pain if she's ever come out the other side. And you're not going to fix it. by You can't apply a patch to fix it. Um, you're going uh, to work on becoming trustworthy, but never again demand that she trust you because she has no reason to ever. If she ever trusts you again, it's going to be of her own volition and that'll be a gift. If you uh. try to push it, you're not to push recovery on her. I ignored him uh, in that part of the advice. I, you know, as soon as I started to get some hope and see some light and make some progress in my own recovery, I turned around and tried to push recovery on Allie, which came across to her as nothing but blaming or trying to, you know, shift responsibility in her direction. Right. Now that I've been honest, let's, let's see how you're responsible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And don't, yeah. don't miss, I'm going to reiterate what you just said before you move on, because it is so common in conversations we have with men where they're finally being honest and now they feel they are owed that yeah. trust and forgiveness. And every man or woman who is bringing out that confession needs to understand you're not owed anything. Yeah. And, and there might be a season before it is gifted to you. Yeah. So it's hard, but shut up and sit down and yeah. wait yeah. for that. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's about it for amends. And, and it takes time uh, and treatment for a wound, proper treatment for a wound to heal. And Allie did get help for trauma. Uh, uh, counseling and then trauma works and EMDR work. It sounds to me as though Rayanne may have done some EMDR or something like it. Um, and, uh, you know, there did, you know, there, there finally did come a day when Allie spontaneously of her own accord said that she trusted me. That was enormous. Uh, when we reached the point where we could start making hooker jokes, uh, and what, <laughs> You know, so, you know what, the scar, as I often say now, you know, the scar is always there, but it no longer hurts to touch it. Uh, but that was not a process that could be rushed. And Rayanne is so right. It's not just about forgiveness. So easy for us Christians just to apply some simple, uh, yeah, just some simple Band-Aid that's going to fix everything. The miracle of the gospel that I think we uh, we don't think about or emphasize enough is that the gospel isn't often about changing circumstances. When I experience new life in Christ, it becomes a lens through which I see life. 
Yeah. So it changes my present because I look around me and I think I am perfectly loved. I'm perfectly whole in Christ. Here we go into the day. It changes how yeah. I live today. It changes what I think is important for the future. But miraculously, it changes our past as well because mm. this is all about having our minds transformed. Right. So as I grow in the gospel, which is why it's, you can get help through all the, all the counseling and all those things, which is really good to get your mind thinking better about those events. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the gospel wants to do that as well, where as I look back to the past, I see it completely different. Mm-hmm. I see it with sadness for the other person instead of just sadness for me. Mm-hmm. I see where God has been working and using all those things to grow me and the other person and even our children in, in powerful, important ways. I, I can see those things. It's kind of like when you put the red you know, lenses on and the picture has all the red and it all comes out. Yeah, That's a, that's a gospel transformed mind. And there's a lot of hope in that because if I only hope that God is out to fix my situation, the details of a situation, I'm probably going to be disappointed a lot. And there's nothing I can do for my past because those situations can't ever change. Mm -hmm. And yet when the gospel starts to take over my vision, everything changes, including the past. Mm -hmm. And there's new hope and love from God and for God that comes out of it. Yeah, it takes a process yeah. and a very yeah. Christ-centered, Abba-loving process. When I find out that my dad was never absent from me during those years of being betrayed or lied to, that he was invested and heartbroken and for me. Yeah. And that changes everything. Yeah. And we're going to talk more about that with our guest today, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are. I certainly hope so. Yeah. So we're going to keep this theme going. As we come back on the Pirate Monk podcast with our special guest today. It's more than a single step, it's more than a box to check. Forget about what you left in your former situation. Get up, get up, count the cost, count everything else as lost. It's time to pick up that cross and accept the invitation Cause it's building so slowly Don't just stand there and watch it growing His kingdom for his glory Wake up and come join the story Your kingdom come Well, welcome back on the Pirate Monk Podcast, and it is such a privilege to have with us today one of the very earliest members of the Samson Society, a guy who uh, was tagged with a nickname when he first showed up at a Samson Society retreat. Um, (laughs) It was a lot better than uh, nicknames I got tagged with. (laughs) Were you Tic Tac? That... That was the one you gave me. <laughs> and uh, FLIP was the other acronym that we're not going to get into. <laughs> that was Art's fault. 
I still remember Scott Dente saying, you introduced, introduced yourself and said, I'm Scott. And Scott said, no, I'm already here. I've got Scott. You're scooch. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and proceeded to bequeath me with the honor of his junior high nickname. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> um, and uh, Scott, actually, Scott was along on that very first Samson Society road trip, the big one that went out to San Luis Obispo, where we met Aaron for the first time. And uh, Scott and I traveled that following week up and down uh, the Golden State and uh, have remained close, although not always geographically close, spiritually close ever since. So Scott Phillips, the musical artist, if you haven't heard of him, you will or you should. and he's out doing some ministry this week. Where are you? Well, right now I'm sitting on a rock in Houghton, New York. Uh, we're doing a teen camp for, <clears throat> it's put on by the uh, Family Life Network, which is a network of radio stations here in southwestern New York, northwestern Pennsylvania, <clears throat> eastern Ohio. And they put on this teen camp every year called SummerSlam. Oh. So we, we are the, the worship band, my, me and my band, Good Little Giants. Are here right. worship for the week. Wow. Summer Slam 2017. Right. <laughs> Good little giants. It's epic. <laughs> epic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How many kids at the camp there, Scott? I think they said around 140. It's actually a fairly small, small camp. Uh, yeah. But it's nice. Yeah. It's, it's been really cool because it, it gives us the chance to get to know a good handful of them and yeah. spend some time with them throughout the week. So. That makes it a lot of fun for us. What You guys actually interact with the kids at camp? I thought worship <laughs> leaders at high school camps just kind of hover out there mysteriously. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't have to. I don't know that there's an expectation to, but it always makes it a lot more fun when we can engage with the people for whom we are singing and leading. And, and so we, we played some can jam last night with some of them. We sit at lunch and dinner with them and, and just, just try to get to know as many as we can while we're here. So. So about uh, three episodes ago or so, I used, uh, for all of our musical breaks, I used music off of your Good Little Giants album uh, and put a link for it. But uh, I wanted, I think I started thinking then that uh, I would love for our listeners to kind of go on the journey from the place that you were going around with Nate and, and playing music and then your life uh, hit an unexpected season and then God brought you back all these years later to doing music ministry again. So how would you start explaining that journey? Oh man, where do I start? Um, You know, my, my music has always been uh, deeply personal to me. And so I, I writing for me is, is like giving birth, although I've never given actual birth. So I don't, you know, no offense to the female listeners who have, but, <laughs> but, the, but it, it, it's a, it's a laborious process for me. And so I've never been a real prolific writer. Um, when I come to do an album, I usually have about 10 to 14 songs from which to choose and, and, and make an album. And, you know, a lot of writers will have 40 or 50 um, and they have to pare it down. But, but, there's not a whole lot of pairing being done when I, when I do an album. Um, so, so my, my stuff, uh, you know, early on when I first started, it was, I guess I would call it 
you know, pretty melancholy and uh, uh, for some maybe a little depressing, <laughs> but it was, it was always really kind of uh, subdued and emotional and uh, just singer songwriter, acoustic stuff. Um, and if you, you can kind of track my spiritual journey by, by looking at each of my albums um, and what I was trying for, there was, there was an album where I was really trying to appeal to the CCM industry, the the contemporary Christian music industry. And, uh, and so I was trying to write quote unquote radio hits and that never landed, never worked for me. And so then the, the follow up to that was around the time I was being introduced to the Samson society. And so, um, you know, Samson for me was, it was, was a great introduction to this launch pad. Uh, it was like a launch pad for me to, to be able to learn how to confess in a safe place with other men who, who struggled with, with common things. Um, and and we uh and so so as a result i was kind of given some freedom and some permission to to write that into my music and so um so then came along another album um and that's the one i was when i was traveling with you nate um, mm -hmm. a lot of the songs from that album ended up uh you know being the ones that i would share from stage when we were traveling and mm -hmm. uh, and they were all about you know kind of my journey out of isolation and and taking my shame and my secrets into the light and um, and, and just the, you know, the, the kind of beginning steps to healing, yeah. uh, that came from that. And so, <clears throat> uh, shortly after that, um, I, 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 it's, it's a really hard description, I guess, because I don't want to get too much into the details of it, but, um, you know, I was, I was still struggling with a lot of anger and a lot of, uh, a lot of, which, which led to depression and, uh, um, wasn't taking responsibility in my marriage as the husband that I, that I should have been. And, um, and as a result, uh, my wife at the time, uh, decided she just, she didn't, she couldn't do, deal with it anymore. And so, um, so then we went through, um, around the same time we were going through foreclosure and bankruptcy and, um, and the, that was around the, the flood of 2010 in, in the Nashville mm -hmm. area. Um, and our home was infested with mold from the water that, that came into it and, and, um, and so then my wife and I separated and, and started this, this divorce process, which was kind of a lengthy thing. And, um, and, and so, uh, it was, it was during that time that I, I started writing more songs and a lot of my people looking back on it, a lot of my friends kind of affectionately refer to that album as my divorce album. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, and that, that's actually, um, it, I took about a three or four year break during that whole time. Um, and actually I told myself I wasn't going to do music alone anymore. Up until that point, I was a, an independent solo act, um, did all my own booking management website, you know, fulfillment and, and writing and performing and everything I did all on my own. And, uh, um, and so I, I'd kind of made this promise to myself that I wasn't going to do that anymore. And, uh, so there's, there's all sorts of stuff going on in the background that I haven't really talked much about, but, uh, so tell me, tell me, uh, at, at this point <clears throat> around that time, you left the Franklin area. I did. Yes. And that, I mean, I, that was a, a hard time. I remember a lot of those conversations. Yeah. That was a heavy time. And was, you were yeah. leaving this, you know, this, this group of people that you knew, you knew you had someone to call and, and someone was going to be available, right? There was the safety in that. 
Yeah, well, it, at times it felt like it felt like I was alone in it, to be honest with you. But but at other times, you know, it, it was I don't I don't know what was going through the, the, the heads and hearts of of the other guys in our community. But there was a lot of, you know, there were a lot of couples and relationships intertwined there. And, oh, and, yeah. And, and with any kind of a, a, a divorce or breakup like that, um, you know, people on the other other people who are in relationship with us inevitably um, feel like I, I would assume they have to decide, you know, between who they're going to, who they're going to stay in touch with if either. And, uh, and, and like I said, I don't know, I don't know who, you know, who thought what and, and, but, but for whatever reason, um, I, I fell out of touch with a lot of the guys in the group. And, um, and part of that was due to me leaving the area, you know, when, when, when I saw, uh, how much child support was going to be. And, and at the time, uh, wasn't traveling as a musician. I was struggling trying to find work at Lowe's and as a waiter and wherever I could. Um, it just wasn't, the numbers weren't adding up and, and I made the very difficult decision to, to leave, uh, my three sons, um, <clears throat> with their mom. Uh, and, and I went back to Pennsylvania where I, where I, which was the only place at the time where I could find gainful employment. And so went back and did construction with my dad, um, which ended up being about four years mm-hmm. that I did that. Um, and so during that time, because I was gone, because of the ge- geographical distance, um, I, I just lost touch with a lot of the guys. And, uh, um, and so I, I kind of started a new community up, up north where I was living at the time and, and kind of planted myself in my local church there. And, uh, it was at that time that I was approached by um, a guy who I didn't know at the time, but um, who was familiar with my music and uh, was about 10 years behind me at the same high school, but we never crossed paths up until the point that he called me. And uh, we, uh, we got together and he, he just wanted to see if, if we wanted to, if I wanted to do some music together. And so we started doing some local things together, leading worship here and there. And, and uh, you know, I was kind of dipping my toes in it and a little bit skeptical about uh, the idea of traveling again and um but we we just kept being handed these opportunities um bigger and better opportunities and we kind of added to the band a couple new members and um ended up ended up entering some contests which which we won Uh, it was a national talent talent search and and that put us on on the the main stage of about 20 different festivals around the, the country uh during one summer in 2015 um and so that kind of launched a, a new music venture for me. So, um, but getting to that point, uh, and this, right. this is, is very familiar to some listeners and absolutely out of the range of even starting to fantasize about it for others, which is you're in a position to kind of start over. You, you had to start yeah. over. And yet you still had to carry so much baggage from the first. So it's not starting over. It's starting over with knowing I got to take care of my boys and do what I have to do. I have probably some wounds of leaving a community and feeling like, hey, why, why did people decide they could only be my wife's friend? And it seemed like they couldn't be my. So all of that you're carrying with you. So where do you find, where do you find the hope? to say, okay, here I go. We can do this again. I can trust God again and I can trust people again. Yeah, that, that journey was a, was a painful one. Um, I mean, we, obviously there were all sorts of wounds being opened up um, 
around my around my divorce and uh there was there was a time um when i remember walking i was i was going through i was going uh through some kind of counseling for anger and and trying to get get some i don't know some clarity about that and and seeing what role anger played in my life and and, and in depression and things like that and 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 I came to the realization that that behind my anger was a deeper rooted fear and and that that was that was what was driving my anger um, i was I was a major uh, road rager <laughs> mm-hmm. that's kind of where I would take things out uh, and and um, and I came to this realization that if if fear is behind my anger, then every time I'm angry, I don't have to ask myself, "What am I angry about?" The better question is, "What am I afraid of?" Mm. And so, so I started. I started to kind of practice that when I found myself getting angry. Um, I would I would stop and take a breath, um, which is uncommon for people who struggle with anger. And so, God gave me the grace to 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 actually stop and take these breaths, and then ask the question, "What am I afraid of?" And and that um, that really helped to kind of diffuse the anger and 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 helped me kind of start to think about where that was coming from. Um, at the same time, I was I was learning. Um, to really retrain my thinking. Um, I actually have a, a tattoo of uh, Philippians 4, 8. I have the, the list that Paul gives there. I have that on my arm because it was such a meaningful verse for me during that time. Um, and that, that verse is whatever, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are right or pure or lovely or admirable. Uh, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. And, uh, um, I just remember, you know, I was reading books about, about, uh, at the time about, you know, how we think and, and retraining our minds and, um, taking our own thoughts captive and, and, and learning how to, um, to change that process. And, and mm. what a huge difference that made in my life. I would wake up every morning and I remember hearing a story. I don't even know where it came from. A story from Amy Grant, um, that she would wake up every morning and before she put her feet on the ground, she would say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. In it. And she'd say that three times before she even got out of bed. And so I started that practice and that made an enormous difference just in kind of resetting um, my thoughts for the day. Uh, and then every morning before work, I would take a walk around the block um, where I was staying and I would, I would, I would pick up trash around the block and 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 while I was doing that kind of small service for my community I I would pray and I would I would pray uh, specifically focusing on gratitude and what what things Mm -hmm. I was thankful for because at that point in my life I had lost everything Um, I had I had built up this this persona uh, that Nate likes to talk about I built up this Mm -hmm. persona of of a successful musician and, and I had, I had, you know, as far as everyone else could tell, I had a, I had a good marriage. I had three kids. I lived in a nice house. Uh, we drove nice cars and, um, and I had this kind of flourishing ministry and, and all of that was taken away from me during that. Uh, we went through, like I said, foreclosure, bankruptcy, divorce. Uh, I lost access to my kids. Um, and all of it, all of these things that I had built up as my identity were taken away from me. Um, and I spent a lot of time uh, taking walks by myself and crying out to God. Um, I, I remember I had this one moment where, um, you know, I, 
I had professed a faith in God all, pretty much all my life. I grew up in a Christian home. And so, um, you know, Christianity is all, is what I've always known. Um, mm -hmm. um, but I remember this moment thinking that, um, that I had, I had a choice to make either. I was going to trust God or I was going to get bitter and walk away from him. And so, um, my choice at the time, at least intellectually was to press in. Um, mm -hmm. and so, so, but without any control over anything in my life, um, I realized that in saying, okay, God, I'm going to give this to you. Um, I realized my, what my thinking about God as a father was at that point in my life. And it was, it was, it was that he was indifferent and distant. Um, and that by, by me giving over control and saying, okay, I have no other choice, but to let you have this. I, I realized that, that I just didn't think he was going to, he cared about whether, you know, where I ended up in his grand scheme of things, um, that he could, he could take me or leave me and that it really didn't make a difference. And, um, and that was, that was kind of a, at the time it seemed like a really profound moment for me. Um, because I realized at that point that I could, like I said, either press in or walk away. And so my choice was to press in. And so I, I started, I uh, started opening up the word more and trying to, trying to gain some understanding there. And, uh, um, and he just, he really started speaking to me about my identity and about, um, it just giving me a better theological understanding in general. Um, and, uh, and so I would take these walks and pray and, and uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say this, that shift, uh, was so evident. You, you were definitely the melancholy poet in your earlier music, which I always liked. I like, I like some melancholy <laughs> <laughs> guitar music and certainly, uh, King David before he was king was a, an emo songwriter himself. So, <laughs> right. Uh, but I remember when you sent me the link to your your new project with your new band, and uh, I got to to listen to that. My first thought was, this is like some of the happiest, hopeful Scott Phillips music I've ever heard. Like it is a, <laughs> yeah. This is a whole different thing. Uh, yeah, just from the feel and the lyrics it was a, i mean that album's a lot about trusting god and that he's worthy mm -hmm. of trust yeah so was that just the slow build into that or was it like something finally just broke and you went okay you're not the indifferent father i thought you were yeah i th i think it was just i think it was just a, the difference was me actually getting into the word and and understanding theology and letting letting that determine what my theology was as opposed to just all the bible stories i had grown up with and and mm -hmm. kind of what i what i thought the bible said because up until that point even though i had had you know quote unquote ministry um i had never really spent much time in the word on my own and, and everything that i that i you know preached from stage was basically stuff that i had learned kind of by osmosis and growing up in the church um but but as i look back over it there wasn't a whole lot of theological depth to it it was mostly just kind of feelings oriented and um kind of romanticized christianity that's pretty that's rough for christian musicians isn't it they're thrust on a stage there there is no expectation that they have studied or thought through or been educated in any of the things that they're now publicly representing and often musicians are thrust up there very early without a lot of life experience. 
And so, yeah, yeah what you described, I'm sure if we go but went back and talked to that, you know, mid 20s Scott, he would be like, of course, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not making this stuff up. But <laughs> yeah. now you can look back and be like, oh, my gosh, that guy didn't have a clue what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I, you know, and, and to be fair, nobody thrust me into it but myself. I mean, I, I was the one who entered it, entered the ministry um, a, with a bit of a cavalier attitude um, and, and no sense of discipleship, um, no mentors, no one to, to really guide me. I did have a church that was supporting me just because I had shown talent as a songwriter. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I wasn't at all equipped to be in ministry for the first 10 or 12 years that I was doing it. Um, mm. which, you know, I, I know that God can use that despite me and my, my poor equipping, but, uh, but yeah, you, going back to the albums, there's definitely a <clears throat> there's definitely a stark contrast um, between our latest album and the, the first the first one that our band put out. That first one was basically a collection of songs I had written over the last you know four or five years, mm-hmm. uh, and then the band got together and I had these songs and we put we we put them down on on the album and it was a very you know to use to use the same word it was very melancholy and and there were a couple songs we tried to make a little happier <laughs> uh, a couple love songs and things like that but for the most part it was pretty heavy material there was songs about my parents and songs about my divorce and um and just a lot of pain you uh, i i think that you could that you could read from that but then the the album following that came a few years a few years later at least a few years of writing later um and and yeah, there's, there's a big difference. It's, um, uh, we were really trying to focus on pointing people toward Christ and pointing people toward, uh, toward hope as opposed to just kind of commiserating in, in mm-hmm. our, uh, mm-hmm. in our brokenness and sin. <laughs> so. hey, hey, Scott, what's, what's the difference? Uh, how's, how's your experience differ between being a solo artist out there plugging away, doing it on your own? And now being part of a band, how's life different as part of a part of a band? Well, well I, I, for one, I love, I love being in a band. Um, I, I love having help, uh, having people uh, to play along with on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's really, there really is a brotherhood that, that comes along with that. And, and of course with brotherhood comes a lot of friction. Uh, yeah. And, and, and if we're not careful, the resentment can build and, and it blows up from time to time. But uh, mm-hmm. But I, I love the guys who I travel with, and uh, I love love. We have a lot of fun together. We have a lot of fun stories together. Um, so, mm-hmm. so that element of it is is great. Um, obviously, you know, traveling alone, there was a lot of uh, a lot of me being in different towns with with completely anonymous, with nobody traveling with me, and mm-hmm. and if I wasn't careful, I could easily get into trouble. Um, right. Thanks. Thankfully, during most of that or a lot of that time, um, I had Samson Brothers who I could call. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so that, that was a big help. Um, yeah, and then obviously yeah. you and I traveled together and, and from time to time, even as a solo act, I, I would bring a second musician along with me. So there was that, but for the most part, yeah, I traveled alone and I was in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. So you were trying to raise money for this new album. I remember, uh, did you yes. raise that money? Is it happening? Are you in the midst of recording it? <clears throat> Well, that, that, that new album came out about a year ago, um, year, year and a half ago now. So that was the one we were trying to raise money for. And, and, oh, really? Uh, so yeah, we, no. We, that, that Kickstarter was for Arrows? 
Yes, yeah. Ah, and, see, I, and, I saw that after Arrows, and I thought you were doing a new one. I was so excited. No, no, I, I, I actually, um, yeah, Arrows came out. We didn't get it fully funded, but we had enough in our in our coffers to, uh, uh, you know, fund it ourselves, and uh, and we did have some people give some donations, and so we we, we funded that kind of both ways. Um, but no, we we don't have a new project in the works at this point. Um, in fact, since February of, gosh, when did we record that? I think we recorded it February 2015, um, released it in the, in the spring then of 2000. No, that would have been 2016. Um, so since then, I haven't, I've, I've started writing four or five songs, but I haven't finished a single song in the last year and a half. I've been going through a real dry spell, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that is awesome. Uh, you're still just trekking around touring, doing stuff like this. Is this your main, uh, your main, what you're doing? This is about half of what I'm doing. Okay. Um, a while back, um, a while back, I, I, maybe two years ago, um, uh, actually an, an old Samson buddy connected me with uh, a certification class, uh, to become a pipeline welding inspector. Um, and that was a really providential thing. God, God, uh, put that in my life so that I could eventually get a job on the pipeline and raise enough money to move back, uh, toward my sons. And now I'm, now I'm able to live just down the road from them. Yes. Yeah, so let, um, let's talk about that. The full circle. You, you yeah. moved back to, to the place that you had to leave so many years ago, reconnecting yes. in a whole new way with your kids and probably pieces of your old community. So what has that been like? Uh, bittersweet. Uh, there's a, it's, it's, it's like, you know, I, the, the, the divorce and moving to Pennsylvania was like starting over and then moving back to, to Tennessee was like starting over again. Um, wow. you know, after, after five years of, of being out of touch with, uh, a lot of the Samson and new Adam guys, um, uh, you know, coming back into, um, my ex-wife's, uh, home turf and, mm -hmm. uh, where a lot of her friends and, and relatives live. Um, it's, it, it's been, it's been a difficult transition, but, um, you know, one of the things that God has taught me through, through this whole thing, um, is how he, how he builds virtue in us, uh, through the vehicle of suffering mm -hmm. and, uh, and to, to see that. In, in fact, I, I, I would venture to say that that's the only way that he builds virtue into in us mm -hmm. is, is through suffering. Um, and, and by, you know, because we don't learn patience when, when it's smooth sailing on the highway, we learn patience when we're stuck in traffic. Um, mm -hmm. and so if we, if we expect to be conformed into the image of his son, um, and for all those things to work out for good, like Paul told us, um, that, Jesus was Jesus came as a suffering servant. He came as someone who was acquainted uh, with with pain and and hurt and and so to to be conformed to that image, we're going to go through as his followers. We're going to go through that kind of suffering and uh, maybe not the exact same kind. Maybe we won't shed blood, um, mm -hmm. but uh, but but that's how he's built virtue in me, and I've I've seen it. And so so now looking back, you know, I can I can believe James when he says uh, to count it joy when we meet trials of various kinds, because we know that the, the, uh, we know that the, the, the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And, and so I've, I've seen the kind of endurance and, and, and 
perseverance that that has built into me by going through these things. And even if they were, you know, self-inflicted, um, mm-hmm. God uses it all. And so, um, but going back to that question, the transition coming back, you know, it, it's, it's been a time of trial for me, but, but I've really focused on, um, committing to a, a local church body, not bouncing around being in the Nashville area. Um, you know, I could go to a different church every week of the year and, yeah. and still, and still not even see them all. Um, yeah. and, and so since I have come back, I've attended one church and, and I've, I've tried to commit to that body and I'm really trying to kind of plant roots there and, and, uh, and then bloom there where I'm planted. Um, and so I'm, I'm slowly developing a new community of, of, of friends and brothers. And, um, and so that's, there's a lot of beauty there and there's, there's a lot that I can see that's going to be coming from it. A lot of fruit. So I think you've said it in different ways, but I'll let you summarize this to wrap it up. Uh, if one of our listeners is going through one of those restarts, whether it's because of divorce or death or, you know, there's so many ways that all of a sudden you're thrust into, oh my gosh, I thought my life was set and now I'm back to zero. Mm. And they don't yet see the light of hope ahead, just the darkness. Mm. What would you tell them? Well, I would say you'd have the, you have the same choice um, and, and to pray for God to give you the grace to, to press in to him. Um, mm-hmm. Because James, you know, later in that, same, in that same chapter, chapter one, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so there, those who love him and remaining steadfast are tied together. Um, and, and Jesus says that, you know, the one who, who, who remains till the end, uh, is, is going to be the one who's saved. And so, uh, read through the new Testament, just bathe yourself in the word. This is, this is what I did. And and I learned about, um, you know, Jesus is, is not looking for people to become nominally Christian and claim that salvation and walk around with it as a, as a, you know, back, back pocket, get out of jail free card. Um, he's looking for overcomers. He's looking for people who are going to endure. And, um, and I want to be one of those people. I hope, I hope, you know, by his grace that I, that I will be. Um, and I, and I want to see other people. I want to, that's my ministry now. That's, that's what I preach from the stage is, is endurance, steadfastness, perseverance, um, rejoice in suffering because God is using it. He's using it. We have these, we have these verses. We love to cross stitch on our pillows. Um, you know, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But we forget that, that, that conforming to Christ, that that verse is referring to, if we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, we're going to be sufferers. We're going to be co-sufferers with him. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Scott Phillips, AKA Scooch. <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us there at your camp. And thanks how, for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, how are the listeners going to get Scott's music? Well, you can uh, you can Google Good Little Giants. We're on iTunes. We're on Rhapsody, which is I think now Napster, um, Spotify, all those you know streaming sites. I think you can find us on there. And our okay. latest album is called Arrows. Arrows, fantastic! And we can find a touring schedule there too. So, uh, GoodLittleGiants.com. Yep. Yeah. All right. Awesome. <laughs> Thank That's you. Guys. So good. It's so good to see your face. Even hey, man, though, Nate, you and I live about three-quarters of a mile away from each other, so okay. we can see each other's faces again. All right, all right, let's do <laughs> let's it. Let's get together.
Okay. <laughs> Love you, man. It's good to see Love you. you. Love you too, man. All right. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. You're a good guy. Whoa. So I sing a simple song, you're a good God, and all creation sings along. You set aside your glory, stepping off your throne, that you walked into a minefield when you made the earth your home. Help me get a better picture I want to know the love it took When the author of the story Became a page within the book And you're a good guy Okay, we're back at the Podcast. I'd love to get me some Scott Phillips. What a, what a gifted songwriter. What I've always loved about Scott is the way he just kind of leads with an open heart and you, you're going to know where he is because he's not going to hide that. And he writes out of that place, really talented singer songwriter. I hope, I, I hope uh, more of our listeners go and, and get his music. Uh, hey, and, and wasn't that a terrific letter we got uh, from the top of the show there from Ray Ann there. Uh, we have a few more and we'll, we'll go to the mailbag again next episode. In the meantime, if, Anything you heard uh, during this episode uh, prompted a thought or pissed you off or uh, anything, write to us. Let's make this a conversation as much as possible. Yeah. We'd love or, to hear from you. Or if you just have random life questions like, you know, when cows laugh, does milk come out their nose or do girls pee in the shower too? Any of those kinds of questions, feel free to write in and and we will make up answers that may or may not have any validity whatsoever. It's just like the internet. It'll be great. <laughs> Live Wikipedia level. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you can reach us by uh, uh, just, just send those cards and letters to uh, pirate monk podcast at gmail.com. Uh, well, Aaron, it's been a great conversation again. It's good to see your face. I'm glad we can do this now and actually look at each other. It's been a while. It's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And listeners, check out the YouTube channel. I will keep putting them up for a little while uh, and, and see if you would want to keep going to the Pirate Monk Podcast YouTube channel and seeing these uh, video versions of the conversations. Yeah, the good news is you'll see us there. Uh, the bad news is you'll see us there. Yes. All right, well... Until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we're your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arr.